This is Sports Fest on the Believe Podcast Network. Here on the Sports Fest, our staff removes the worst and only gives us the best in sports. I love our interns here. I am Larry Olson, best known as the cartoon dog for the Reposted Productions podcast. He is Andrew Keller, who can bench press 225 10 times in a row. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Uh, you saw my uh, NFL Combine workout? I, thought I that, did see uh, that. I got taken offline, but uh, maybe we should put it on our newly found TikTok account, Reposted Podcast on TikTok. Wait a minute. Did you break 447 in the 40? I ran a 4.9 and I weighed 260. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a real stat. <laughs> That's a real – they're all real stats. Hey, so listen to this. We have breaking sports news. This week is the start of the MLS Back in Soccer Business Tournament in Orlando. Yes. I wanted to get to know who you thought was going to win it. There's 25 teams. And you want to know I, who you I think is going to win? one team in the MLS? Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to ask that, but I, I presume you can. Yeah, there's the – I know that there's the LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders. Woo! Hey, by the way, they're favored. Or yeah. one of the favorites. I think they won last year, didn't they? Um, no, they came up second to the uh, Seattle Sounders. Yeah. Look at that. That's what I meant. The Sounders won. Yeah, the Sounders won. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go uh, – so you're going to go with the Sounders? I'm not going to go with the Galaxy because I live in L.A. And go team. Okay, go team. LAFC in the mix as well. I'm going to go with the Columbus crew. Okay. There you go. Uh, so that, that's starting. But the big news this week, Andrew, is that baseball released its schedule. Yes. We're going to play 60 games, 30 teams each. I don't know. I can't do the math. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I'm total games here. Um, each team's going to play 10 teams against – Teams in their division, total 40 games. So, like, the Dodgers and Giants are going to play a lot. Yeah. And the uh, – I think in division, they're going to play 20 games total. And out of the division, they're going to play 40. Look at you. Um, some of the rules, of course, there was the universal DH. Yeah. And then if the teams, games go to extra innings, there's going to be a man on second base. Opening day is going to be July 23rd, two games. It'll be the Yankees and the World Series winning Nationals and the Dodgers and Giants. Yeah. Okay. They are going to play the – Field of Dreams game this year, even though it's a shortened season. Oh, I was worried about that when I, I didn't know if baseball was going to happen. That's important. Yes. The Yankees backed out, so the Cardinals are back in. They're going to play the White Sox in the Field of Dreams games. Is Kevin Costner going to be there? Kevin Costner has yet to RSVP. That doesn't mean he's not going to go. just means yeah. he's yet to RSVP. Um, 60 games per team, 30 teams. The easiest strength of schedule for team this year is – the Twins, they have a 449 easy schedule ranking. The LG Twins of the KBO? No, the Minnesota <laughs> Twins. Minnesota Twins. Have you read anything? I don't know if there are starts and stops. What are they going to do? I guess they have that bullpen of minor league players they can pull from, and they're just going to, right now, they're going to put their head down and power through no matter what? I'm going to use a technical term here on you, Andrew, as to what okay. MLB is going to do about the coronavirus. They're going to cross their fingers. That's what they're going to do. It's a technical term. <laughs> Cross their fingers and hope nobody gets the coronavirus. All right. What do you do? You want to put a wager right now on the over under on sixty games regular season? All the teams like you're saying, like literally, they're going to stop in the middle and take 10, 10 games away from everybody and keep going. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, I don't know if they stop and then they still finish the sixty games no matter what. I think you all know bets what? are off on Andrew. Um, as you know, I love a good uh, wager. How about we double down on the man rub and go? <laughs> Two man rubs, if okay. they, you know what I mean? Okay. Do you want the over or under on 60? I'll give it to you. I'm going to take 60. I'm just, they're going to play all 60. 
All right. I'm going to sell an interest of that to Kirk. And, uh, so wait a minute. Do I got to give like him 25% of the man rub and then you 75%? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so I know you watch all the sports, but uh, did you see Patrick Mahomes signed a record-breaking new contract extension? I believe it was for a half a billion dollars, but I could be off a little bit. $503 million, which Woo! I feel like at some point they're doing this just for shock value. Like, I, I don't know. We could take I – would, I would take the under on him playing – uh, the 12 full years it's left on his contract. I'm right? going to take, I'm going to stay even on that. I'm not going to take, take that over. You're I'm, not take that, I'm not going to take that. Bet. So Adam Scheffner of ESPN is always known for the guy that like breaks all the NFL news. But in this particular instance, Katie Camlin from Plaza liquor in Kansas what? city what? shattered the story. Yeah. I guess a front office employee from the chiefs came in and he bought six bottles of Dom Perignon. And he said, there's a, there's a big signing today and it's not Chris Jones. So she tweeted out that it had happened, and she's like, my guess it's the Mahomes deal. And so she, she was the first one that got out. She got a little bit nervous and then deleted the tweet because I guess you don't know the implications of, of leaking information. But she is credited for breaking the Patrick Mahomes story. So here's what I understand. I feel like I read this story, and I felt like you hear of Dom Perignon being like, like a really exclusive liquor, champagne. It's just expensive. I don't know if it's exclusive. Okay, well, expensive or not, I don't feel like you can go into Katie's Liquor and buy Dom Perignon. I feel like the Dom Perignon brand has gone down a couple of notches. If you just walk into Katie's Liquor and get Dom Perignon. When was the last time you bought a bottle of Dom? I've never bought one, but my point is like, hey, all the, the, the big wigs of the Kansas City Chiefs organization are like, oh, we got to celebrate. We just signed Patrick Wilms. So they go over to the intern. They give him, I don't know, 200 bucks. And be like, hey, go get us something really nice. Any rolls to Katie's Liquor to buy Dom? I mean – is there a better liquor store? Anyway, she was nervous that they, they were going to get upset with her. but um, So she deleted it, and then later she spoke with people from the team, and they're all on good terms. I don't know. I think it'd be fun to break a story like that. you got to ride that media wave. Okay, by the way, Bolo Dom Perignon costs about 150 bucks. <laughs> That's a lot less than I would have guessed. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like there's a lot of brandy going on with the Dom Perignon. It's like seems like a big-time liquor, but – All alcohol is branding. Right? I know, but, but I just feel like maybe it's a product of the 80s. I was like, ooh, Dom Perignon. But now there's like, what's, what's the champagne that all the Crystal? rappers drink? Crystal. Crystal. Yeah. So maybe through the community of property, Patrick Mahomes is not as good of a quarterback now that he's drinking Dom. He should be doing something on another level. Okay. I don't want to pigeonhole uh, Patrick, but I feel like it was just the executives that were drinking this, right. and they were celebrating not with Patrick. Did you know that Patrick Mahomes is from the Rose Capital of the World in Tyler, Texas? You know what? <laughs> I'm an honest. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a bold declaration. I'm never gonna visit Tyler, Texas. That's just. I'm not gonna do it. Well, if you're driving from Dallas to Shreveport to throw some dice, you might, because it's on the way. <laughs> oh, I take that back. I might be visiting Tyler, Texas. Yes, you do. All right, Andrew, one of the sports that we've continued to talk about here on Sports Best because it's never gone – well, it went away for a little bit, but since we started the show, it's been going on – is golf. Yes. Are you ready for some incredible bulk news, Andrew? The incredible bulk? That is one Bryson DeChambeau. That's his nickname. Yeah. They changed – now it's that from – he was the mad scientist. He was the mad scientist. Now he's the incredible bulk. That's because during the lockdown – Maul, me and you were playing Yahtzee. Yeah. He was lifting weights. He put on 20 pounds 
during the coronavirus lockdown. So how big is he now? He's 240. Is he really? 6'1", 240. That's huge. Wait a minute. So he was 6'1", 200, 220, and now he's 240. To put that in perspective, Tiger Woods, 6'1", 185, and he seems like a pretty yoked guy. To put it even more perspective, DeChambeau is almost the identical weight to the heavyweight boxing champ, Anthony Joshua, who weighs 240 pounds. Wow. That guy is an Adonis. So basically, he could either be a golfer or the heavyweight champion of the world. So is the bulking up, has it helped him? Correct. He won the Rocket Mortgage Classic. That's why we're talking about him over the weekend. Uh-huh. He, he's finished now in the top three, uh, top 10 in three of the last events since the restart. He had the longest drive at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, 350 yards. You can ask Uncle Kirk, that's really far. 376 on the Three, 14th hole. Just, I... <laughs> No, check my, my, my uh, stat guy. He has to get back to me. So the PGA tweeted a photo of him on the tee box of the 14th hole, and he swings so hard. He looks like he falls out of his swing. Like, I, I can't believe he hits it straight. I think I also read that he got his, um, his swing speeds up to, like, close to 200 miles an hour. So he hit it 350 or 376 yards, longest drive. Depends on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. He also was the tournament's best putter. So what he does is he hits it a really long way and then hopes that he can putt. Wow. This is my favorite stat of DeChambeau. Since the tournament restart, he's played in like three tournaments. He is 69 under par. Whoa. That's 20 strokes better than anybody else. How many rounds is that? Uh, Roughly like he's played in four tournaments, three or four tournaments. You're not the math guy. I'm not the math guy. We'll talk to our interns and see if we can get our prep done a little bit earlier. The the incredible bulk now is the favorite, as you would assume, to win the U.S. Open the Masters, and the PGA Championship at 10-1. So I feel like you're the resident golf expert on this show. Uncle Kirk is, but go on. So with the Masters, I think that's like notoriously not – it doesn't favor the long drive. It's more accuracy, right? Like I think that's not necessarily going to help him. I mean, he's putting well, but do you put him as a favorite to win the Masters? Oh, absolutely. Me and uh, the aforementioned Uncle Kirk are in a fantasy golf league, and I like Tony Finau and Bryson – but the problem with Bryson is, like, everybody's going to be picking him out right now because, right, he's the favorite. Right. Always want the dark horses. They, they pay a little bit more. Right. You're not getting even money. It's not worth it. No, exactly. Who wants even money? We could have took Bryson at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And I was like, Uncle Kirk, slow your roll. Everybody's going to take him. We won't win any money. Right. Sure enough, he won, but, you know. Right. It's better to lose than to win even money. It is. So I think that's an a idea that you could pass on to your kids. <laughs> So with all this going on, the NBA, we've talked about them a bunch in their bubble down in Orlando. They have announced that they came to a deal, the NBA and the NBA Players Association, that they can put pre-approved words on their jersey to promote social justice. So the kind of layout of it is for the first four days of the restart, they can put these choose from a list of pre-approved words to put on the jersey. And then after four days, they can have the words and their last name. And Yahoo Sports is reporting some players have already started selecting their message. And so far, the top choices are equality, education reform, and vote. So that's really cool. Like, yeah. just first off, that's kind of cool. You could choose that instead of your name. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's sort of uniform, right? I mean, and when baseball does this on nickname weekend, yeah, they take the names off, they put nicknames. That's really fun because you don't know what they're going to be. And it's like... The, the bangster or uh, Captain Cute. And it's kind of like fun to see those. 
once again, I don't want to take away the message the NBA is trying to do, but you're sort of removing the uniqueness of it if everybody kind of has to have the same names. Right. There's a pre-approved list of like yeah. 30 different names that you can use. I think the intent of it's good, but when you have a corporation, you can't have people going rogue and saying something. So I, I don't know. I'm curious to see how long people will be using that. And also I saw the list from Yahoo Sports and no massive names have chosen to use this. So I'm wondering if Antetokounmpo or Curry or anyone is going to be taking advantage of this. I mean, to say anything, but as you know, Steph Curry will not be playing in the tournament because the Warriors didn't make the playoffs. But I mean, I digress. Well, that's <laughs> embarrassing for me. <laughs> and hopefully our interns will edit this part of it. I don't I think mean, they will. <laughs> who would ever give the wrong statistics on the show, Andrew? I mean, that's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing. If you could see me, I'm beat <laughs> red. So I don't know what what would you choose? Would you uh, would you take advantage of this? Of course I would. Um, I would definitely put something. I mean, once again, yeah, I I would say I yeah I don't know what it would be. I'm I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. What would you put? Uh, I like vote. Vote's Voting good. is important to me. I've voted in every election since I was 18. Dang. Every so I've, I'm voting at least once a year. Because <laughs> they have they have multiple. I don't know. Just any kind of measures. So vote. If you're listening to this, get out and vote. Do you vote uh, mail-in ballot or you always go? No, I go in person. Every the time. The process wow. of doing it in person is so fun to me. Wow. I get a sticker. I remember the 2016 election. I was, there was so much buzz. Go The presidential election, there was so much buzz going on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to say thank you to the people volunteering. And I went up to three different people at my polling place. I was like, hey, thank you for volunteering for this. And they all gave me, all of them were like, what are you talking about? It was not the reaction I was hoping for. I want to thank you for your service, ma'am, and Mr. Really, pre- what you try to do, stalk me? Try to get some ulterior Right. Uh, I, I always take my, in the old younger days, I had to take my three kids to voting booth with me mm-hmm. while I voted. Yes. I literally felt like they were going to burn the voting home down. I was like, guys, just calm down for one minute so I could do this voting thing. And they're just like knocking over booths. I was like, oh, jeez. Nice. Yeah. So you have three kids and you've three had- kids. Three opportunities to announce the names of your children. In general, how long did you wait after they were born to let your friends and family know your children's name? I got this great story of how my very first kid, everybody's waiting down to the lobby. I go down, wife delivers, go down to my uh, in-laws down like, hey, everybody, Brennan Claire Olson was born. And they're like, wow, nobody knew the sex. And they're like, it's a boy, yay. (laughs) My in-law can't hear. I'm like, no, it's a girl, Brennan Claire. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have any kids, so I don't know how long I'm going to wait. But well, we don't know about that. We don't know if I have kids or not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But uh, Usain Bolt and his girlfriend, Cassie Bennett, publicly revealed the name of their child. Well, they didn't do it. The prime minister of Jamaica did, Andrew Holness. And their child's name is Olympia Lightning Bolt. Oh, Strong. that is so Strong. clever. Yeah. Lightning, because he's so fast. Have you seen a picture of this kid? It's maybe the cutest baby I've ever seen. I've never seen a picture of your kids as babies, so no comparison. But um, You know, I just do, do, are you putting pressure on your baby if you call him Lightning Bolt? I think you are a little bit. I think Olympia even more so to be an Olympic athlete. Absolutely. But did you know that Serena Williams also named her child? She had a kid in 2017 that goes by Olympia. Her name's Alexis Olympia. Her middle name's Olympia and goes by Olympia. 
Oh, I think I like the name just in general. I mean, I like Olympics, but I like the name Olympia. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, maybe if I have a kid, it'll be Larry Cornhole Keller. And that way, <laughs> they'll be a Cornhole champion. <laughs> I always want to name my kid um, Duke. Duke? Yeah. Well, you missed the boat on that because you got three and you didn't do it. All right. <laughs> Mickey Sudo is the top-ranked competitive female eater in the galaxy. She holds four world records in kimchi, hot dish, ice cream, and the women's world record for hot dogs, of course. Speaking of which, she has won the famous Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest seven straight years, including setting a record for eating 48 and a half dogs this year. Mickey, you are so fun to have you on. Let me just say this. If, if you don't mind me saying this, you're really pretty. You've got a great personality. You seem super cool. You're not exactly what I think of when I think of a competitive eater. Oh, well, I, I guess I'll take that as a compliment. I, I think it's a misconception that most competitive eaters are large, burly guys. Um, you have some pretty athletic types, and uh, I don't know, I'll, th I'll take that as a compliment. But I think there are top-ranking competitors that are uh, in better shape than myself. Yeah, and you live with your boyfriend, who I think is ranked number eight in the world. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think he could be confused as a bodybuilder. He's Jack. Uh, yeah. He's a former bodybuilder. He's right here with me. Oh, hey. Yeah. Okay. I actually was a, uh, I was a competitive bodybuilder for about 10 years. I just tried to maintain, like, uh, my dad leftovers. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been, it's been instrumental to, well, it was instrumental to my success this year at the final table because, you know, we hit the gym together. So, I got back into competitive eating shape, and then we also tackled hot dog practices together. So, you know, we were, we did our two-part practice and preparation every step of the way together, and I think it really paid off. Well, you're, you're better than me because if I worked with my wife, she would kick me out of whatever we're doing. So here's the thing. Um, I, I'm going to take the long route to get to this question, but my daughter now loves watching the new Star Wars movies because there's usually a female strong lead in the new Star Wars movies as opposed to the old ones where there wasn't. I know this is competitive eating, but do you feel like you're having some sort of impact on women's issues because you're now representing in a total badass way in competitive eating? I mean, that's, that's a huge responsibility, and I've never claimed to be more than just, you know, a girl with a great appetite who enjoys competing. Um, but, uh, you know, with that said, there's, um, there's something really liberating about breaking down the boundaries of your own comfort zone, really challenging yourself to be better and do better without giving much regard to the fact that I'm a woman in a male-dominated sport, I guess. So it feels great to hold my own. And if, uh, if other people find inspiration in my story, then that's great. So I, I think not many people wake up and say, I want to be a competitive eater. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found your way into the sport? Yeah, um, I did a few like man versus food type challenges in the Las Vegas area. Mm. Um, when a couple of my friends had gone into a restaurant and tried and failed, I just felt like I could, I could do that. And, you know, the restaurant was offering $1,500 for finishing 12 pounds of Vietnamese noodle soup. Um, but it really took on a life of its own when the restaurant, uh, when I completed it and the restaurant put me up on a billboard right off the Las Vegas strip. Whoa. So that, that, that just, I got started getting, uh, just invitations to take down different challenges and eventually compete against other people. And yeah. I figured, why not? I, I'm actually pretty good at this. I'm from so, Texas and there's a restaurant in Lubbock called the big Texan that has a 72 ounce steak. And I've heard people have problems eating it because their jaw gets tired. 
Can you speak to that, or is that just willpower getting something down? Because their jaw gets tired? Is that what you said? You yeah, I don't know if it's true. Someone said they, they, were, they were ready for it, and they're just like, I can't even chew steak anymore. Oh, no, I, I've actually done that challenge um, twice now. The first time I was passing, passing through on a road trip, just a casual lunch with my friend Michelle Lesko, who's another competitive eater. Sure. Um, and the most, I did it again last September on my drive to uh, Connecticut here. And I actually did two, one after another. So um, my jaw was fine. Um, I think the trick is to just, you know, cut into small pieces or some people pick yeah. up the steak and rip off pieces. Um, that's not really my style, but I think uh, there's just minimal chewing all around, which maybe saves my jaw from getting tired. I feel like that was the e – Mickey took the easy way to say that you're soft and your friends are soft. I feel like that, Andrew. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, at something. I promise I would have picked a different talent if it had been up to me. But, uh, you know, this is, this is like my superpower, so I'm going to run with it. So right. just kind of going on that theme about superpowers, I'm, I'm, you, you, you showed, a pro, showed a proclivity to be a good eater. But what do you do to specifically train or harness your superpower of competitive eating? Um, I think for my very first head-to-head -head contest, I was just, I ditched any, like, what is it? I, I ditched any self-consciousness at the door, really. I was I was unafraid to just go hard, get barbecue sauce in my face, and rip ribs off the bone. Um, and same with hot dogs. I, I don't approach anything really gingerly. So that's that. Um, but, in, but logistically, I do hot dog practices leading up to a big event. So Nick and I did three before the big competition. Yeah, I, I guess that's been, I don't know, the biggest part of my success. But I saw you were being interviewed after you won uh, on the 4th of July, and you said, you're like, I'm feeling good, but I know I'm going to feel it later. <laughs> yeah, eventually all that sodium and, and the weight alone is going to hit you like a ton of bricks. Uh, by the time we got back to the hotel, I was ready to just flop on the bed and pass out, enjoy the AC and uh, relax for a bit. But yeah, in the moment, I felt fine. I, I think even watching back seconds after the competition, I, I'm talking to the judges because I, I was concerned that I couldn't hear the final countdown. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm carrying on a conversation. I'm cutting my interviews. And I even looking at myself, it doesn't look like I had just eaten four dozen hot dogs. But uh, yeah, it, it kicked in later. I'd like to just do a little bit of investigation here, Mickey. You grew up in Japan, partly. We all know that the godfather of competitive eating, Kobayashi, also grew up or hails from Japan. Is there any kind of connection between the big eaters and Japan? Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be invited to do a, a competition, uh, like elimination round show last December. And uh, it's, it's just a different, it's a different competitive environment. Ours are fast and uh, I almost uh, violent, I guess. Uh, and I, we, we hold 10 minute competitions that are, you know, where people don't hold back at all. Uh, the Japanese format is 30, to 30 minutes to an hour in length. So it's much more of a marathon. There's a little bit more strategy that goes into it. There's like a decorum and a, like, I, I don't know. People take it just as seriously, but it's, their approach is different. I don't know if it's just also more competitive eating seems a little bit more approachable. Huh. More people can kind of try their hand at restaurants challenges because it's a bigger thing over there. But yeah, I mean, the, the fan base is, it rivals that of the fan base in America. Uh -huh. It might even be more so. So I, I think just the enthusiasm that you get from the viewership um, kind of has pushed the, competitive, the sport of competitive eating into an entirely different level.
So speaking of fan base, something that's like been in the news for all sports right now is the lack of fans at sporting events. How much does a live crowd cheering you on impact? Yeah, so um, we, I think we all feed off the energy from performing in front of a live crowd. But with that said, um, you know, it was, I had to keep reminding myself, you know, we're without a live crowd, but we're not without fans. You know, on the 4th of July, the hot dog eating uh, broadcast, the hot dog competition broadcast is the number one viewed uh, original cable program on TV. And even this year, the viewership was down. Um, it actually, it might have been higher than ever with streaming services taken into consideration. It was still the, la the, the most watched original broadcast. Um, so yeah, okay, we're without a live crowd, but we're not without fans. And I think, uh, and I would never want to say without, we're without fans, because that just discounts everybody who watched us and supported us from their home. So mm -hmm. um, I knew that there were a lot of eyes on us. Uh, we had a lot of support, just uh, not in the screaming fans that we're used to in front of us. I suppose also, too, um, that Joey Chestnut has done wonderful, like Tiger Woods for golf. Joey Chestnut has brought a lot of notoriety, and you wouldn't be able to have a career maybe unless Joey Chestnut sort of started this revolution. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess Joey could also attribute, you know, the, tra the trajectory of his success um, to Kobayashi before him and the fact that, you know, the media really played up their rivalry because people really like a human interest story, right? So I don't know if Joey did it alone. I don't think Kobayashi alone would have made competitive eating successful. It's like that human element and like all the behind the scenes drama that I think people really latch on to. So it'd be really interesting to see that as competitive eating grows, if we could get maybe a little bit more spotlight shown on not just like the Joey Chestnuts and Mickey Sudos, but like some of the other players on the field who, they're, they're competitors who toss Joey around in other disciplines. So they're not gonna touch his hot dog numbers, right? But there's a competitive eater who will beat Joey Chestnut at chicken wings pretty much any given day. So it'd be kind of cool to see like that, that spotlight shown on different people too, because um, you've got some amazing players at the table um, and just to bring sort of like a human element to, to the competitors. Um, I think that would be a huge change for the sport. All right. Well, speaking of other specialties, I thought we could play. This is your life real quick, Mickey. And I'm going to tell you a couple of competitions that you've competed in where you won but I want to know how many, if you know how much you've actually ate during that competition to win it, all right? In 2015, at the Foxwoods World Turkey Eating Championship, you won it. Do you know how many pounds of turkey you ate? Uh, I think I heard this one recently. Was it 8.7 pounds? 8.8 .8 pounds. Oh, Pretty good. Gosh. Okay, in uh, 2015, you won the Western Days Festival World Tamale Eating Championships. How many tamales did you eat in 12 minutes? 68? 61. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're amazing. You know, sorry, I, I, those, those uh, depending on who supplies the tamales, they're different from year to year. So it's kind of hard for me to, uh. like, was it the four ounce year or the two ounce year? Okay, cool. Okay, so far, not too far off. Yeah, you're pretty close. Um, just one more. I just like this one because um, my daughter loves burritos. You took second in 2015 at the Denver Outlaws World Burrito Eating Contest. How many pounds of burrito did you eat? Nine? Come on, don't say yourself short, Mickey. 13.8. Wow, okay, not a bad day. Not a bad evening, actually. That was at the lacrosse game. <laughs> no, okay, no, that's, that's not bad. That certainly is not bad. Well, it is an absolute joy to have you on. Mickey Sudo is the top-ranked competitive female eater in the world. Of course, you saw her on the 4th of July. 
kicking some serious hot dog butt. She set the record at the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest with 48 and a half dogs. Mickey, thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes today. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, that's all we have for today. This has been Sports Best, presented by Reposted on the Believe Podcast Network, where we believe in the best of sports. And that's why each and every week, our interns cut out the worst, and we only bring you the best. I'm Andrew for Larry saying, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for stopping by.